You're listening to Randall Parker's Film Club with me, Randall Parker. On this week's podcast, we shall be reviewing two films, one off a non-specific list of greatest films of all time that is definitely not the same as the one that's displayed on www.thisisthedarkcorridor.com and a film requested by a listener. As always, we'll have some of your emails and we see the return of the section, They Did What? Now, as you will undoubtedly know, a few weeks ago I thought I'd contracted COVID-19 and had to spend the best part of a week holed up here in self-isolation. Well, that was until I found out you don't piss on the testicles, but shove them up your nose. An oversimplification of the process, I know, but you catch my drift. Well, last Monday, I was feeling a little bit shit, not quite myself, you know, and I don't know if it had anything to do with my eyes swelling up after watching The Boss Baby or what, but I felt proper shite, and I was sat on the sofa watching some mindless crap as usual, so I thought, being as I wasn't on top form, why not have another crack at doing one of those tests? And ironically, Somehow, I've managed to get contracted for real. So I was looking online, and technically I should lock myself away for the next ten days. But being as I banked those days back in January, I reckon I should be okay. I can't see any harm, can you? But I'd best not tell anyone. You know how funny some folk can be, don't you? Closer to home, a friend of the podcast, Joe, is back from hospital and spending the majority of his time lying bare-naked, face down on his sofa, watching daytime TV, waiting for his arsehole to fully close up properly. Now, I've had a few emails wishing him well, but an absolute fuckload picking on me for saying that he slipped on a blob of natural sauce shower gel. Well, many of you are taking great delight in informing me it's actually called original sauce and not natural sauce. Well, not being rich enough to be able to afford that sort of thing, I'm sure you can forgive the mistake. And if you can't, then you can piss off and stop being so fucking pedantic. Love that word, pedantic. Pedantic. Great, that. But regarding old Joe, I do keep popping in there to see if there's anything I can do to help aid the recovery of his poorly bum pipe. Now, he's lying there on the sofa, right, and I went round the other day and I opened the front door and he had the kitchen window open, which caused a breeze to blow across his cornhole and made a sound like the Titanic leaving Southampton. You know, frightened us both, he did. Wondered what he was, he went, like that. I keep trying to brace the subject of the accident with Joe, but he's remaining tight-lipped on the subject. I'm sure there's a joke in there somewhere, but to tell you the truth, I can't be arsed with it. But it is nice to have him back, quite like having the fucker knocking about. I've currently left him round there with local home help, Big Judith, who is watching telly with him, eating pistachio nuts and trying to throw the shells into his hole. Randall Parker's Film Fact If all of the slow motion in Jack Snyder's Justice League was run at normal speed, the 242-minute runtime would be drastically reduced to a mere 94 minutes. Randall Parker's Film Fact Now, I was invited round to Donna's house again last week and she cooked me up a slap-up feed. Seems to be coming a regular thing, that does. I think it's nice for her to have a bit of adult conversation, what with her being stuck in the house all day alone with Jackson and John Wick, who aren't allowed to go to school due to their disruptive behaviour. I keep on trying to pluck up the courage to ask her if she'd like to come to the cinema next week. be nice, actually, to go with someone and not be sat there at the back on me Todd getting weird looks off all the dads when the latest Pixar film's on. Once again, the meal was fucking amazing. It was sort of like a chicken and mushroom pasta dish, which tasted a bit like a pot noodle that had been emptied out on a plate. It was a fucking treat. And then, for pudding, she did me. Butterscotch Angel's Delight. Fucking ages since I've had that. And she only charged me 35 quid this time. But whilst I was round there, I heard this noise coming from next door, you know, our old house, and Donna said that for the last week or so, every few nights she can hear banging about and voices coming through the walls. 
so I decided to go round and find out what the fuck was going on. Luckily, I've still got my key, right, so I let myself in quietly, right, and you would not believe what I fucking found. It was Slow Francis and the Warhammer Wankers slap bang in the middle of the room, right, and they got this fucking pasting table out there with a sort of model battlefield with a bunch of wanky tin soldiers on it. I asked him, what the fuck do you think you were doing? And he tells me it was a meeting of his Warhammer gang, the purveyors of the Seventh Apocalypse. And I said to him, they look more like a pathetic bunch of cocktops rather than anything to do with the apocalypse. They were all there, Francis, obese Tracy Beaker, helmet boy with his moped helmet firmly in place, Jackson Galaxy and Giacomo, who had fully recovered from the dry roasted peanut incident the previous week. They'd got all of their snacks laid out, right, shoveling crisps in like there was no tomorrow, and sat there banging the middle of them with slow Francis. Tell you what, that prick is a fucking savage. He was eating a Snickers bar whilst drinking Vimto. I ask you, the man should be in some sort of fucking home. So I tells him to shift his crap model village off the pasting table and get the fuck out of the living room before I pan his fucking head in. And if Mr White wanted to rent the place out, it's going to take him fucking ages to get rid of the stinker B.O. Then Giacomo pipes up and says, Blimey, Francis, your big brother's a bit of a moody fucker, ain't he? So I tells the Jebben to pipe the fuck down, and I wasn't his big brother, and he should go home before I called the fucking pigs. Francis said he'd got the OK from Mr White and Mummy Mum, right, then he was training for the regional elites of the Warhammer 40k championship that they're holding down the town hall in a few weeks' time. He said that they needed to work on his folding centre double envelopment defence and I replied to him that they all needed to work on their personal hygiene because the place stank of unwashed virgins. Then the Tracy Beaker one says he wasn't a virgin because he'd got a girlfriend and I said to him that holding your own prick whilst you're calling Babe Station doesn't mean you've got a girlfriend and the only pair of tits he'd seen were probably hanging off Giacomo. So I goes over to Francis and says to him, Well, back up egg breath before I give you a knuckle sandwich and I'm going to call Mr White and tell him you're trespassing on private property. So I gets Mr White on my mobile right and I tells him that I've apprehended a bunch of yobbos breaking into the house and he should call the coppers. Then Mr White said that he knew Francis was using the house for his warhammer and they'd got his full permission and him and Mum hadn't put the place up for rent yet and he thought it might be helpful for Francis to have a safe place to practice. Then he told me that Francis was hoping that if he won the regions it was his shot at the big time. Then he says, I should stop titting about and leave my keys with Francis and fuck off. So as I was leaving, I kicked the pasting table arse over tit and all told them to go fuck themselves. Emails. Yeah, fuck that lot. Mr White won't be happy until that bunch of pricks burns the fucking place to the ground. Anyway, on to emails. I'm sure you've heard me comment quite a few times on how amazing I think the internet is. Well, just a word on the other side of the coin. Sometimes it can throw you a bit of a curveball. Well, many years ago, right, when we did cookery at school, I think they call it domestic science now or something, don't they? Uh, we used to make these things, these sort of pasties, and they were fucking tasty. Now, I was watching on them wanky food channels, right, and the posh chef lady woman, you know, the one, uh, she was making them, and I thought, yeah, it's been years since I've baked anything, so let's have a crack at them. Might perk old Joe up. So it goes on to Google and types in Nigella Lawson's corned beef slice, and you would not believe what came up. Fucking shocking. Sent me down a rabbit hole, that did, I can tell you. Lost half a day. But I've gone off topic slightly there, haven't I? So we've had a few emails this week, so let's dive straight in. The first one goes, Dear Randall, I just have to start off by saying that we love the podcast and it can quite often spark a lively debate between the lads and myself. We love a good discussion. Take the other day, for instance, when we were sat having the late breakfast at the local cafe. 
Sam, who doesn't eat meat, had plumbed for the vegan all-day breakfast and held up his vegan sausage saying that he thought that the innovations made by the Quorn Foundation were quite remarkable and how they managed to create a meat substitute by using just the microfungus found in soil was nothing short of miraculous. Darius said that for him you couldn't beat a good old great British banger full of pork, seasoning and plenty of other shite which made it the perfect accompaniment to the bacon in the meat lovers all-day breakfast. Tony then pipes up and said that even though he wasn't a vegan and did enjoy eating meat, he could see both sides of the argument, as he often likes to have a few meat-free days a week himself. This made Sam see red. He shouted at Tony and called him a fucking pansy and a half-arsed prick, then remarked that Tony should choose his side of the argument because if he sat on the fence for much longer, he'd end up with splinters in his arse. Then enraged, Sam picked up the HP sauce bottle off the table and smashed it across Tony's head, giving him a severe concussion. And as I write this email, Darius is currently receiving treatment at the Burns unit of the local hospital due to having a red-hot sticky toffee pudding thrust into his face. But my question to you is this. What innovation in cinema would you consider to be the greatest? Best wishes, Danny Carter. Blimey, it's all going on down there, lads, isn't it? Now, as innovations go, you've got to go a long way to beat CGI. It's fucking amazing, isn't it? I mean, look at all the things you can do with it now. They even managed to use CGI to make Brie Larson look like she could act and win an Oscar. You know, it really does downgrade awards when they give them out to people like her, don't it? But a lot of people think the colour is an amazing innovation which changed cinema for the better. But since doing this podcast, I've enjoyed many a black and white film, which has actually surprised me. But I think the top innovation would have to be when they managed to make sound. That is the thing that probably changed cinema the most, didn't it? I mean, before that, they just ran around a lot, you know, wearing big moustaches and knitting each other. But once sound came along, they started to do proper stories, and the rest is history. Yeah, it's got to be sound for me, Danny. Thanks for writing in. And the next email goes, Dear Andal, Do you consider free will to be real or just an illusion? Steve Turner, Gloucester. Last email this week goes... Dear Andal, for some time now there have been rumours in Hollywood that squat-faced genius director Quentin Tarantino is developing a film based in the Star Trek universe. Many hope that this would bring a crossover of Tarantino's violent style into an already established sci-fi franchise, breathing new life into something that is now about as fresh as a week-old fart in a sealed jam jar. What I am interested to know is what film director would you like to see take over a franchise and take it in a whole new direction? Many thanks, Leona Lewis. Well, thanks for getting in touch, Leona. That's a good question, that is. Uh, it's been done a fair few times, this, hasn't it? I mean, I mean, like when Christopher Nolan, cinema's equivalent to the Mogadon, took over the Batman franchise and brought in some much-needed realism into this series. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to see Richard Curtis do a Fast and Furious film. That'd be interesting. Or... Wes Anderson do a Star Wars film, yeah. What about Paul Verhoeven, who did the original Total Recall and Robocop? How's about him doing an Harry Potter film? It'll be a fucking bloodbath. Yeah, I've got a plum for that. Yeah, Either that or Mike Quasar director James Bond film. That'd be fucking filthy, that would, wouldn't it? Right, so that's it for emails uh, this week. And thanks to everyone for their questions. If you fancy getting in touch, you can send me an email. The email address, as always, is randallparker1971 at gmail.com. Great stuff.
Strange sounds from the dark corridor. So last week we had an email from the dark corridor threatening us with legal action if we don't stop doing film club. So in a change to how we normally do things, I thought I'd read you an email that I sent to the dark corridor after last week's podcast. And it goes, Dear Colin Forrester, Thank you so much for your email which you sent to my podcast last week. I have spoken to my solicitor, Dawn Sanders, and she informs me that you haven't actually legally applied for the sole copyright to your list, and you cannot force me to stop with Randall Parker's Film Club, and she has informed me that I am fully within my rights to tell you to back the fuck off. So, back the fuck off. Kind regards, Randall Parker. Sent that off on Tuesday, didn't it peep from him, till about Friday, then it gets this. Dear Randall, Thank you for your response to my initial email regarding the ownership of the list of greatest films of all time from the website www.thisisthedarkcorridor.com. I have had another meeting with my legal team and they have checked their records and have no record of a Dawn Sanders registered as a solicitor. But Robert, who is one of the team at Rutherford Banks and Collins Solicitors here in Manchester, recalls hearing of a case a couple of years ago in the Walsall area of a legal secretary masquerading as solicitor and she was scamming pensioners out of their savings by applying to be their legal guardian and claiming falsely they needed to be a ward of court. Robert recalls her name being Dawn Sanders. Perhaps, possibly, this could be the same woman. If she is or isn't the same Dawn Sanders makes no difference to me. I see that we have a problem. You like doing your film club podcast, and I don't like you doing your film club podcast, but I propose a solution. What I suggest is that in a few weeks' time, I have you as a guest on my award-winning podcast, The Dark Corridor, and we settle this in the only feasible way. I shall set you 15 film-related questions, and you can set me 15 film-related questions, and whoever answers the most correctly wins. If you win, you get to continue your podcast, but if you lose, you vow never to grace the podcast world with your trivial efforts. I look forward to you accepting this challenge. Kind regards, The Dark Corridor. Tell you what, this prick never gives up, does he? Tell you what, Mr Dark Corridor, if you're so confident that you'll win, how's about this then? If you win, I pack in my podcast, but if I win, you pack in your podcast. I think that's only fair. Let me know what you think, and we'll end this mess of bollocks once and for all. Let's do a review. So, on to reviews. A little bit later, we'll be reviewing a film requested by a listener, but first, on to today's film, off of a non-specific list of greatest films of all times. I have to emphasise this is a non-specific list, and not the one off the website www.thisisadarkcorridor.com. So today's film is one from 1985 and it's called After Hours and directed by a bloke called Martin Scorsese. Now you may think that that name sounds familiar and that's because he is quite successful and he directed that film The Departed, you know, about the undercover policeman. You know, the one where everyone gets shot in the head. Tell you what, it was a good job Dwayne The Rock Johnson wasn't in that film, wasn't it? You'd have to be a fucking good shot to shoot him in his tiny pinhead, wouldn't you? Anyway, so this film starts with a bloke called Paul, who is at work in an office and he's chatting shit to some daft cock about the job's wank and how he does like a good night out. 
So after work, he's sitting in this cafe having egg and chips and a mug of tea or something, and halfway through he sees this woman and she's called Marcy. Now for some reason or another, they start chatting, and Marcy says, Oh, I've got this mate who makes models of bagels out of plaster of Paris. And she basically says to him, If you want to shag me later, there's my number. Don't like them bagels much to you. I mean, some people are fucking obsessed, but they're just not for me. It's not the taste, it's mainly the shape. I mean, you make a sarnie and all the stuff falls out the hole in the middle, doesn't it? But back to the film. Some time passes and he decides, yeah, she weren't too bad looking and I fancy getting me tip in with her, so he gives her a call. Marcy tells him the address, right, and he's in this cab and on the way, his $20 he's going to pay with blows out the window and he's fucked and the taxi driver says, fuck off, have me cab, you twat, and he has to walk the rest of the way. He gets to the apartment finally and he's met by a bagel artist lady and she's working on a sculpture of a bloke and they get chatting bollocks sort of thing and she's fucking odd and he thinks fuck this I'm going home. Right, He tries to get on the subway but hasn't got enough money and the subway man says fuck off you fanny and he thinks fuck this I'm going to the pub. So he ends up in the pub and he gets talking to this barmaid who says I fancy you and he goes oh right thanks. Then he tells the barman, I can't go home, I haven't got enough money for the train. And the barman says, if I could open up me till and give you the cash, you know, I'd give you the money myself. Here's the key to me house, nip round there, get the key to the till, come back here and I'll give you the money. But beware, there's been a fuckload of burglaries in the area. So he trots off to the bloke's house and he sees two robbers nicking a statue from the bagel lady's house and shouts, Oi, fuck off, and they do. And he takes the statue back to the bagel lady artist and she says, thanks for that. But I'm off out on the piss now. Go and apologise to Marcy for fucking off earlier on. She's in the bedroom. You still with me? Hold on. He goes to see Marcy, but she's killed herself. He calls the police. Then he remembers he's got the barman's keys, so he goes to take them back. But the bar is shut. Then he meets up with the barmaid, goes to her house. Then she gets fucking weird, so he fucks off back to the bar, which is now open. Then the barman gets a phone call. The call says his girlfriend's dead. We find out that his girlfriend was Marcy. Then Paul goes to a club to try to find the bagel lady to tell her that Marcy's topped herself, but ends up nearly getting a skinner off some yobbos, but he escapes. Then he meets a lady in an ice cream truck who thinks he's a robber, and a bunch of people start to chase him off down the street. Then he escapes to the nightclub that he was in earlier on. Then he meets another artist lady. He tells her that people think he's a robber. She puts him in a full body cast. Then he's nicked by the real burglars. Then he's put in a van. Then he falls out of the back of the van, outside where he works. Then he goes to the office. The end. Fucking hell, it was like one of them dreams you get when you're ill. I needed a fucking good line down after this, I can tell you. Ratings-wise, I'm going to put this on a par with closing your eyes and spinning around on the spot for about three minutes as it's very disorientating and makes you quite ill. That was After Hours. Watch that if you want to see Kevin McAllister's mum chase after some fella around the streets of New York accusing him of being a sex pest, whilst Kevin McAllister's dad runs a pub and blots over his dead girlfriend. So tomorrow marks the first day of proceedings in the HSE inquiry into the passing of slapdash death merchant Robot Robert, who met his end at Whiten Bailey when he decided to pull a whole rack full of ducting and pipework on top of himself in what many are saying was a willful act of attention-seeking that went horrifically wrong. Now, as I was the last person to see Robert alive, naturally I'm being asked to give evidence of the proceedings and testify on the state of Robot Robert's mind before the accident. Testify. Love that word. 
that comes from testimony, which comes from, in ancient Greece, when they couldn't afford a Bible to swear on in court, a man used to grab his bollocks right in his hands and swear on them and say that if he was found to be lying, they'd cut him off. And that's why they call it testimony. Testy, testicle, moany, moaning on. Testimony. But I digress. I'm giving evidence in the case, so I think Mr White will be quite happy that the outcome rests on my shoulders. We all had a meeting with Mr White's legal representative, Dawn Saunders. I've chosen not to tell Mr White all the stuff about conning old fuckers out of cash for now. He's got enough on his plate, ain't he? Anyway, I found her to be rather negative about our chances of a win. She's done loads of these health and safety things, and a positive outcome for the business usually rests on one of two things. One, a miracle. Two, a bribe. But with me on his side, what's he got to worry about? They did what? So, on to They Did What, the part of the podcast that looks at something that was done in film ages ago, and when we look back on it now, think, fucking hell, mate, that's bang out of order. Now, today's film is one from 1968 and stars everyone's favourite Inspector Clouseau, Peter Sellers. Now, the film starts at a film set, and Peter Sellers is a fucking idiot, and he sets off an explosion which wrecks the entire film, and then he's sacked. And somehow, instead of getting a letter saying, fuck off, you clumsy fucktard, he accidentally gets an invite to the most swanky party Hollywood has ever thrown. Anyway, he wanders around the place bumping into people and annoying the fuck out of them, but they eventually warm to him and he's a toaster tinsel town by the end of the night. Sounds great, doesn't it? Only it's as racist as fuck. I omitted to mention that during the whole film, Peter Sellers is playing as a bloke whilst painted up like a bloke from India, doing a really racist impression. Two questions I have in this one is... Couldn't he just be a white idiot? And two, if he'd have been Indian, couldn't he have got an Indian actor? Digging a bit deeper, this film is directed by Blake Edwards, who has been mentioned in this section before when he directed Breakfast at Tiffany's and he yellow-faced up Mickey Rooney to insult the whole of Japan. Blake, pal, sounds like you've got a few issues there, mate. Get it sorted. Oh, he's dead. They did what? Now, I was talking to Tommy Slippers in the local chip shop yesterday, and whilst I was waiting for me cod and chips and peas, and he tells me that Mrs Bannister, Mr Wilson, and old Mrs Bates have all gone down with COVID-19, and all have been rushed into hospital, and the outlook isn't looking too good. Poor lot, they're all in the mid-80s, and funnily enough, I was only talking to them on Tuesday, at a good old catch-up on what's been happening down the sheltered housing complex opposite the park. But this is Tommy Slippers, and we all know his word ain't reliable. Because he also told me that Samuel L. Jackson has just taken over as the headmaster of the local primary school. And if he had, I'm sure it would have been on the local news. Randall's Requests. So, on to our next film for this week. And it's one requested by a listener, a lady called Kirsten Swore. And it's a film from 2013, directed by a bloke called David Soarin. I fucking hate Soarin, I do. Anyway, it's an animated film called Turbo. Now, this film stars Ryan Reynolds. It's like dog shit, isn't he, Ryan Reynolds? Gets everywhere. Turn the telly on. Go to the cinema. He's there. Look at something on Twitter. He's there. Half expect when I go for a midnight piss, he's sat on the pot there curling one out. With his smarmy fucking look on his face. Anyway, in this, he plays a snail called Turbo, who is fucking obsessed with motor racing. Yeah, you heard right. And he loves to watch Formula One or something. And he loves this one driver who is the bestest bloke who has won the India 5000 or something, which is a big massive fuck-off race they have in America or something. Anyway, 
it works with a load of other snails, right? Uh, fucking up tomatoes or something, and they think he's a right ponce and tell him to his face. One night he's looking up at the sky and he sees a shooting star and wishes that he was really fast like racing cars and somehow he manages to get onto the bonnet of a car and gets sucked off and ends up in the engine and his DNA manages to get fused with nitrous oxide. Now I'm no expert but I'm pretty sure that's not how DNA works. Well, when he wakes up he can run. Do snails run? Uh, they sort of slide, don't they? Well. He wakes up in the morning and he can slide mega fast and he runs around and fucks everywhere up and causes chaos and gets him and his brother sacked. His brother ends up getting nicked by a crow and Turbo chases the crow and rescues his brother and then they get picked up by a simple fat lad who happens to race snails and Turbo gets to show off how quick he is and the simple lad gets a stiffy and thinks fucking hell I'm going to be rich. Now to cut a long story short, Fat Lad and Turbo and a bunch of other strap-ons decide that they're going to put the snail into the Indian 5000 race that I mentioned earlier. That's right, they want to race a snail against a car. I'm no expert of Formula 1 but I'm pretty sure that it will probably state in the regulations that you need a fucking car. But for some reason the bloke that runs the Indian 5000 says, yeah why not, who gives a fuck about rules, I don't know why they bother writing them down in the first place. Fucking hell, wasted enough time on this. The snail races anyway, he wins and everyone is fucking happy, apart from the dads who would have been forced by the mums to take the kids to see this pile of jizz. Now, someone gave them the money to make this pile of fucking shite. In fact, it takes fucking ages to make a film like this. I'm talking a year or two. All the bits have got to be drawn, right, put onto a computer, rendered, edited, the music got to be added, and no one at any point said, oh, hang on, fellas, None of this makes any sense, and none of it's in the slightest bit entertaining. Ratings-wise, I'm going to put this on a par with drinking hot sick. That was Turbo. Watch that if you have too much salt and are looking for ideas on what to do with it. Randall's requests. That programme was on telly a few weeks ago, right? The one where semi-famous people trace their family trees. Uh, who the fuck are you, I think it's called, isn't it? And they always seem to end up being related to kings or queens, don't they? So I thought I'd give it a crack and I signed up online to this thing where you can search all the births, deaths, because I could be sat here heir to a billion dollar fortune or something, couldn't I? Well that was until about 35 minutes in when I found out about five generations back I was actually from a pig farmer's family from Norfolk and their surname was Porker and they decided to change their family name to Parker. Intrigued to find out why I dug a bit deeper and found out that the three sons of pig farmer Isaac Porker Daniel, David and Arthur were all arrested within six months of each other for various reasons. One for robbery, one for beating up a policeman and one for trying to make love to one of the sows. So Isaac and his wife decided it would be a good idea to change their names to Parker and fuck off and live in Birmingham. So I've decided to knock that on the head and ask for a refund. Randall's Classics So on to Randall's Classics this week and I'm going to recommend a film from 1978 and it's called The Wild Geese. Now you might think that from the title it's a piss-boarding documentary about the migration patterns of Canadian geese through a 12-month period, but you couldn't be further from the truth. This is a film about a bunch of blokes who decide to fuck about being mercenaries and shoot the fuck out of a bunch of bad bastards. Imagine the Expendables but with your grandad in it and you won't be too far from the mark. Available from Amazon, order it, watch it, scratch it, say it's faulty and send it back. Randall's Classics
As you may recall, we are currently running a vote on what song Big Ken is going to sing at the end of our first anniversary edition of Film Club, coming up in the next month or so. Now, we've had a few suggestions, and a couple of the early frontrunners to be murdered by Ken are Someone Like You by Adele, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, Straight Out of Compton by N.W.A., but I don't think you lot are quite ready to witness the strength of Ken's straight knowledge just yet. And someone has requested that he sings the theme tune to the A-Team. Not quite sure how we'll do that one. So votes are still open, and we'll probably close when you lot lose interest and come to your fucking senses. Well, that just about wraps up Film Club for this week. I hope you've had as much fun as I have. You can contact the podcast, as always, on randallparker1971 at gmail.com. Get in touch if you've got a question or want to suggest a film for me to review, or just want to say hi. I'd love to hear from you. Ta-da for a bit.